you know when you're working a night shift and it's 3 a.m. and it's like, are we drunk or delirious? I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. And you're listening to Drunk or Delirious, a night shift podcast. like idiots this is our first time recording video <laughs> as well as audio mm-hmm. so and i mean I, it'll be interesting to look at and see if i do anything weird while yeah. recording or you get you guys will get to see my gigantic water bottle that i <laughs> drink out of during our recording sessions that's new did you have a good work day the last two days at work i've gotten out really early so i'll say that that's great um we get out at like 12.30, which is awesome, but we have a surgery, like a full surgery day tomorrow, except it's going to start like snowing at um, 4 p.m. and it's going to snow for like 26 hours here in Denver and we're supposed to get like 8 to 10 inches, so. Well, the skiing would be really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what I want to do? Oh my God, we're going to go sledding on Friday. That's what Ooh. we're going to do. There's a really good sledding hill, like, uh, like around the corner from our house. Um, so that's that is fun. what we're going to do. Hell that yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> I haven't been sledding truly in like years, I think. It's so freaking fun. It's fun. And it's like a workout too, like, cause, like running back up the hill and oh my gosh. We last winter went on a hunt for like sleds we went to like five different places before we found them which was like really strange that's so funny um but it's just a blast it really is when I was um little we used to go up to Maine my grandpa had a ski house up there and in Sugarloaf and um we would ski Sugarloaf Mountain and then at night it would be all closed and everything and my mom would drive and then it would be like my dad and my uncle and they'd be like drinking beers and like, you know, I mean, they were uh-huh. like drunk, but they were probably tipsy and stuff. And then me and my sister and my cousins and we'd all drive up like to a certain point on the mountain and my mom would drop us off and we'd get in these orange sleds and we'd, we called it turbo sledding and we went down the ski mountain in oh a sled. My God, that sounds <laughs> so like dangerous, a blast, but also so fucking terrifying. <laughs> so dangerous. I'm like five. My dad would like have his legs around me, and then I'd be in the front, and we weren't wearing helmets, I don't think. And ooh, okay, go through like a tunnel, and then like he would use his hands to like steer. Yeah, I mean. It was fun, but looking back, it's a little sketchy. It's so scary. There's this like super long tubing slide at Winter Park that we're going to do the weekend or like the weekend of Val's Bachelorette, like on our way back into Denver, we're just going to stop there. And like, it's like, it's like one of those Alpine slides, like it's super long, but in the winter you can ride, ride it down on the snow. 
in a tube. I'm so excited. And like, you can like race each other. It looks great. That's awesome. Yeah. Get to be a big kid. Yeah, I know. It's, I literally like, I'm sure I did when I was really little go sledding, but like, I don't remember it. I didn't really sled until I was like a couple years ago. Because I grew up, like, growing up in San Diego, there, yeah. I mean, there's no snow. Like, what are you going to do? My mom hated going anywhere that was cold, so we didn't really have, yeah. like, the opportunity to go uh, sledding, so. That's so funny. I know. I guess I wouldn't even think of that, but yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. You California girl. I know. I know. <laughs> well, this week we have an awesome guest. We're super excited to chat with her. Her name is Valerie Gale. She's the VP of clinical excellence at Nomad Health, um, which is like such an impressive title. That's a whole mouthful that I just said. Mm -hmm. She, uh, Nomad Health is one of the agencies that doesn't have recruiters. So you like go online, make your profile and you Um, get to see all of the jobs that are available and kind of submit yourself to them. Um, So I'm really excited to learn more about all of that and like what she does for the company and her background and how she got there. Um, I think it's going to be super interesting. Let's hear it. I'm excited. You know what? It's 3 a.m. and you go into your patient's room and you don't want to wake them up with the bright overhead lights, but you need to turn on a light to see what the hell you're doing. Now there's a solution. You have to try Lumify's Unite Light. I love my Unite Light. Seriously, a game changer if you work the night shift like we have for years. It's super small and clips to your scrub top, has three different color settings, and emits enough light to illuminate your workspace, check IV sites, vent checks, honestly, you name it, in the middle of the night. The Unite Light was created by healthcare workers, our amazing friends Jen and Anthony over at Lumify, for healthcare workers. You can get your own Unite Light or anything in the Lumify marketplace for 10% off with our discount code DODPODLUMIFY. That's D-O-D-P-O-D-L-U-M-I-F-Y to get 10% off your order today. Hey, hi, Valerie. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you, guys. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, I'm so glad we could make this work. Where are you um, located? I am in Plano, Texas, so just north of Dallas. Yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, cool. I'm sure. What's the weather like there? Like for the winter? I knew that question was following up, but um, we're about to actually go back into the a bit of a winter swing. So, which is good for me because, as you guys already know about me, I'm from Canada. So. Uh, that makes sense to me that it's cold in January. I have yep. uh, friends here, obviously, that would disagree. But um, yeah, it's it's been beautiful the last few days in the high 70s in the day. Oh but it's, wow. we're going to go down into the 30s for a week and a half or so in the evening. So that's that's nice. I, oh, I don't wow. mind that at all. Quite a swing. High 70s. <laughs> I'm like going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> we're about to, I'm in Denver and we're about to get oh, okay. um, a winter storm tonight. It's going to start it. Okay. In an hour, uh, and it's going to snow for twenty six hours straight. So um, uh, it's I remember gonna... those days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's going to be great. It's far and few between here usually, but this winter yeah. has been ridiculous. So really, yeah. Well, I mean, we had that here in Texas. What in 
just when we thought 2020 had kicked everybody's tail, then 2021 started with the ice storm and the snowpocalypse, yeah. as we call it, that, you know, shut down Texas for a week and a half. Oh, so. That was terrible. Yeah. So oh. I never say never that we're going to have that again. But. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, like where you, you said you're from Canada. So um, yeah. yeah, where you're from and how long you've been a nurse, everything like that. Sure. I'm happy to. Well, um, I have been a nurse. I was trying to do the math and I actually tried to look up articles for nursing statistics from way back in the prehistoric days, but they don't have those. So <laughs> I can't even share that with you guys. Um, but I've, I've been a nurse almost 30 years and I, uh, I can't really believe that uh, myself, but I never thought I'd be old enough to say I did anything for 30 years um, except be alive. And so I, I, and I honestly can't tell you, I ever remember a time not wanting to be a nurse. So my mom says I used to like dress up my dolls and like line them up and then and then I'd have her put toilet paper on my head to make like a nurse's hat and I would give them jelly beans for their medicine and stuff and so like I've always just knew I was going to be a nurse so wow so almost 30 years professionally I was a graduate nurse a student nurse and a graduate nurse while I was going through university um in Calgary and then um and then, uh, you know, girlfriend and I were working at a hospital there, night shift. So we have that in common, too. I've been mm-hmm. a good, pulled, pulled my share of night shifts, too, like y'all. Um, and we, back in the day, read newspapers. And uh, the newspaper had an ad in it for Texas and um, down the, actually, the more southern part of Texas looking for nurses. Back then, in the, in the early 90s, Texas was kind of crying for nurses. And so so that's originally how I came down, a big job fair in Calgary. That's where my hometown is, Calgary, Alberta. Big job fair. They brought 15 of us out of, I think, 500 or something. And so my nearly my entire nursing career, like other than those early years as a grad nurse and student nurse, are all in Texas. Um, so, so yeah, and did, um, came as a med surge nurse, of course, as most people do early days, just learning the ropes, but, um, worked all the shifts. Cause that's what you do when you're a baby nurse. And, uh, was actually telling, uh, Karen before this, like, I remember like I wore white scrub dresses, like that's what we wore. So it's like, oh my like, gosh. Like a long time ago and like white hose that you couldn't see through. Like there are all these rules, white shoes. Oh yeah, it was quite the thing. I didn't wear the hat. I'm not old enough. I have not old enough to have worn a hat. But it was really interesting because when I when you started being able to then wear like different colored scrubs and stuff, I never wanted to wear a dress again. It's like please let me wear the pants yeah. and the dress. Um but anyway, did med surge nursing. Um and then I actually had my daughter, uh, met her dad, had my daughter here uh, in Texas, and then and then really tried to get into a lot of different kinds of nursing, knowing I probably wouldn't stay at the bedside very long, but wanting to make sure that as I moved into leadership roles, that I had a good like breadth of experience across various parts of nursing so that I could always bring that to my leadership roles. So I did home health, hospice, day surgery, ER um, minor care clinic. Um, so lots of kind of fun places, always like a fast churn. Um, and so, uh, well, except for home health isn't super fast, but, no. <laughs> um, but, but just great. Like was able to cover the whole spectrum. I did pediatrics for a while and then did like assisted people and death and dying. So it was like, it was really kind of cool to see the whole spectrum and just understand how critically important the profession is right to people in all stages of life. So, um, so, so that's kind of how my clinical nursing started. 
um, again, I think I knew early on I wouldn't stay at the bedside very long. I would get kind of like interim roles on the units as, you know, charge nurse and then as preceptor and, you know, assistant manager, things like that. And so um, I moved into the world of quality and performance improvement first, because that seemed to sort of be my natural tendency is to look for opportunities to kind of make things better. And so um, that's really what brought me to the Metroplex. So my first kind of branch outside of smaller, um, it's still a large health system, but in Texarkana, Texas is where I was recruited to from Canada. And then I moved into the Metroplex when my daughter was about four. So 1999. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was we prepared for Y2K. I remember all that too. So um, yeah. yeah, so just crazy different times. And that was really my first leadership. Uh, position was moving into uh, performance improvement, patient safety risk, and uh, all of that was in, you know, like I said, early 2000s. And so I've spent the, a good part of my career either in executive or leadership roles in that space, and then um, had the privilege of moving to a different startup company several years ago in infection prevention and um, as their chief clinical officer, and then um, spent uh, the last few years before joining Nomad, I've been with Nomad for a year, joining Nomad, I was with um, AMN Healthcare. I was the head of credentialing for them, went through COVID uh, with them. And so as you can imagine, um, that was a really interesting um, few years for sure. So, but been here at Nomad for a year, have put together a team from the ground up. It's been some of the most exciting work that I, I will say uh, I've ever had the chance to do. I, my career had focused for a lot of years on sort of fixing and improving things versus like really being able to say you had built something from there just wasn't anything there right so we had we had um we've had the opportunity for about six seven months as a full team to really develop something that i think is pretty cool for for nurses and i love it because we get that contact with our hps every day it's not just nursing either it's allied health so you'll hear me say call them hps so we call them healthcare professionals so we're making sure we're inclusive all the time so just if you hear me say that that's yeah that's so, nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> journey. So much to unravel there. I have so many I questions. I know. I have so many follow-up <laughs> questions. Happy to unpack. At first, I'm wondering about um, nursing school in Canada. I know, obviously, that's your only experience versus nursing in, or nursing school in the U.S., but do you know if there's like many differences between the two or are they pretty similar? So back in the day, um, I don't, again, because I've been gone, I don't know a lot about how that ed the educational system has, has transitioned. I will say that what I loved about my nursing um, school journey there is that right from the very beginning, so I enrolled in a bachelor's degree in nursing. So I like enrolled in science and nursing degree. And so my practicum was built into my entire four-year experience. And so I started doing you know, clinical rotations and things like that in my first year, whereas oh, wow. here, right, you do a lot of basics and everything like that. And then I've, I've known um, student nurses that are just like trying to cram in practicum. And so I do love that my experience got to be sort of stretched out over a longer period of time. And it seemed that like with every semester, I got closer and closer to deciding where I really wanted to focus when I got out of nursing. Um, that's where I got to see pretty much every part. And I specifically chose different rotations that would let me take care of patients at, like I said, all different ages and, and, and stages of their lives. So, um, so yeah, it was a really neat experience for me. So when I graduated, I had a four-year degree. Um, and when I graduated, I, uh, 
I, like I, like I said, I was working at a major health system there in Calgary, had a great job, but um, all nurses in Texas and Canada were unionized. And so all the full-time positions went to people with seniority. And of course I was like a tiny baby nurse. So I got lots of experience, but it was picking up shifts. So I just worked whenever I could, you know, 60 hours a week. Sometimes there weren't a lot of laws in place back then. I don't think governing how many hours you could work. So we just sort of worked as many as we could, you know, I was young and, um, and, but loved it, you know, really did loved the time I had to spend there. So I'm not sure how that's changed or transitioned. Um, I certainly know that back then also there was a much uh, lower percentage of people that graduated from degree programs, right? So I was kind of in the minority. I had other friends that wanted to go to nursing school. And in Canada, that was something very different back then. You weren't weren't getting your degree, graduating as an RN, but not with a degree. And so um, again, way back when, when I moved from Texas, I actually, there was, I don't know if they still do this, but I had a differential in my, in my big fat paycheck because I had my degree. I was talking about that to my kids the other night, like, this is how much I made when I first moved to Texas. And I thought I was like rolling in it. And it's my son's first job. He makes more money than I do, like working at restaurants. Oh my Uh, gosh. But anyway, uh, those were like, those are amazing days, right? And I was living out what I had dreamed honestly my whole life of doing um so it's pretty cool oh it's amazing yeah wow it's so interesting to hear too just yeah I mean it's not a huge difference between here and the and Canada but it's still I mean that would have been awesome to do clinicals for four years Mm -hmm. and like because yeah you have to wait for those two years to actually start any of your nursing curriculum before you like it's yeah. like kind of brutal you're like I just want to start my like yeah. what I've been tending to yeah. major in but you can't well and it get it I think it's helpful too right because I mean nursing is hard and I think one of the things not to fast forward us but you know one of the things that I've seen in my career as a leader over the last several years and get get requests for all the time is you know, coaching from younger nurses that are like one, two years into their careers that are like, I need a break. <laughs> like, I got to get out. Like, how did you get out? You know, how, what's the transition like? And, and I think being able to do that and already begin early on, like I was very young for my late teenagers years and early twenties and, you know, knowing what it feels like to get to the end of your shift, even back then and still have to stay for 30 minutes or an hour to finish your charting. And like, that became very real early on, mm-hmm. right? kind of like no surprises as you've been already working in that space for several years to understand this is like what my career is going to entail. Um, do I want to do this every day? And so I didn't graduate with the same number of people I started with, you know, because I, I think they, it was a kind of a wise way to do it um, is sort of knowing and, and learning in those first couple of years um, what it's going to be like. Um, yeah. yeah. I think you need as much experience as you can possibly get um, to become a nurse. And I know that a lot of programs here, you, you're you like in a pre-nursing and then you have to apply after like a year or two even. And there's no guarantee that you'll even get into the nursing program. So I know when I was looking at schools, I was like, I don't want to go to any of those because what if I get through a year yeah. and then I don't get in? Then what? I yeah. would have just rather yeah. had gone to the school that took me in the first place. Right, so, right. Yeah, that's a lot of stress, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Already so stressful. Mm-hmm. 
It is, yes. Um, so what was the process like getting a your nursing license transferred over to the U.S.? I mean, I've done it from state to state, which is a process and a half, but like country to country, I can't even imagine. Well, I will tell you, it's a lot better now than it was then because we have things like email and you think I'm joking, but really not. I was recalling this to somebody the other day, like, I know that I mailed my stuff in, like in the mail, Mm. like documents back and forth and signatures back and forth. Like we didn't have email. So I think maybe we had fax machines, but I like, it was, it was pretty wild. And that was a, it was was definitely cumbersome. And one of the things that was striking to me in this came because I, I really was researching travel nurse statistics in the nineties. But it, it is true that back then, travel nursing um, was really managed by the hospitals. So it, it wasn't managed by agencies. And so I was, I started thinking about that. I was like, you know what, that's true. I worked with HR and, and they helped me process my, you know, I had a, I had a, a TN visa, I was called. So I applied for my TN visa and I did everything back and forth with that person in HR, you know, um, on the phone and leaving a voicemail and mailing documents back and forth. And, um, you know, they helped me do everything. So certainly that process then of, you know, having to get a social security card and all of those things, again, it's just so much simpler now because we have technology um, that can help with that. And and definitely um, in years past, obviously through my credentialing experience. And then now, you know, that's something that I think agencies are all pretty invested in, being as supportive as possible during that process, even though it's hard. I mean, I would tell anybody um, that was looking to do it is to just get it started as Mm -hmm. as soon as possible. The social security number obviously is the big thing, um, getting that and then being able to secure a license. But um, yeah, sometimes I think some of the requirements we've made to go state to state are more complicated than trying to, uh, trying to do it from country to country, but that's probably a whole other podcast, right? (laughs) It could be called, if we didn't learn something from COVID-19, you know, just how, well, we won't get into it, but just how facilitating, making that so much simpler for nurses that were ready Mm -hmm. and prepared to deliver care made such a difference in the health of the nation. And then to now backpedal all the way, you know, let the pendulum swing all the way back again, just feels like we missed a great opportunity for learning. But that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's months. Like it takes months to get a license. Months. Mm-hmm. So especially yeah, in the States that need it the most, like New York took me yeah. like, Oh my gosh, I think over five yeah. months to finally get a license, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, when you first came to Texas, were you coming as like a travel nurse at the time? Yeah. So they recruited us. We had lim- limited contracts. Yeah. So they started as a year. Okay. Um, and so okay. back then, yeah, you had a year long contract. I, like I said, I think there was 15 of us that came. Um, and when we had to renew that visa, so I had to get my visa renewed, go fly back to Canada every year. I did that for a few years and then I eventually got a green card and, <clears throat> and that, but um but yeah, that's how it worked back then. So okay. And I was listening to the your podcast episode, uh, the Travcon podcast with Michelle, and mm-hmm. talking about how it would take like seven months to secure a contract because you were mailing yeah. everything back and forth. Like, like we were talking about with us. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like I was mind. trying to think. I was trying to think about when we went to that job fair, my friend and I, and like we had just graduated, which was November, uh, which was April of '94, and it was almost immediately that we saw the ad in the paper, like which was May, and then I didn't move till January. <laughs> So oh, wow. Like, oh wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have happened now. Like ninety five. January of ninety five. It took from May of ninety four to January ninety five. So wow. yeah. So it's wild. Right a process. It's also really interesting to me that you had to wear white in the early nineties. Yeah. That's <clears throat> yeah. It's like, like not that long ago. No. no. <laughs> the only time we didn't wear white, and this was also the only time I almost fainted as a nurse was in the OR and, oh, but still yeah. scrub dress, still a little blue oh, wow. scrub dress with it's my white freezing. clothes on and white shoes. Yeah. Oh yeah. It is freezing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in the, in the OR now and I like have to have a jacket on. Sometimes yeah. I wear a long sleeve and yeah. leggings under my scrubs. Like, yep. no, thank you. Yeah. I decided back then that standing perfectly still, cause of course they're like, you make you paranoid as a 19 year old nursing student. <laughs> like, Don't move. Don't touch anything. Yeah. Don't breathe. So I did all the wrong things, like I you know, the locked knees, the, the staring into oh. the light, <laughs> yeah, not breathing. <laughs> um, so I think I didn't hit the floor in there. I waited till I got outside of the room, but um, but yeah, I I was like, not gonna do the OR, not for oh me. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so kudos to you, Emily. <laughs> oh, mine is eye surgeries. It's very easy. Um, I don't yeah. think I could do like full blown like yeah. knee stuff hip. everywhere. Po- yeah. yeah. Mm-mm-mm. No, <laughs> these are quick. Um, I have to say too, um, most of our listeners probably are within like Emily and I's age range. So one another thing that I heard you talking about with Michelle on the Trafcon podcast was a different models of nursing. And you guys were talking mm-hmm. about team nursing and if there could be mm-hmm. a return to that. Um, and that really like sparked my interest because I was like, wow, I mean, I've been a nurse for almost seven years which in the grand scheme of things is not that long. So I've never seen any other models of nursing. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that is and um, your experience with that and kind of if you have any hope for the <laughs> profession. And hope for the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Changing in a well, positive here, direction. <laughs> here are a couple of thoughts. Number one, I would say, Hannah, seven years in the nursing profession, if you look at the seven years that your nursing profession has covered, you have seen and experienced more in that shorter span of time than a lot of nurses that came before you had ever seen. Yeah. So kudos to you also for that. Um, I think any any um, length of time in nursing at this point, again, with the pandemic, hopefully behind us, um, is truly remarkable. Like I cried many a night for a couple of years just over the hearts and souls of my care, you know, caregiver friends that were still at the bedside. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. What I would say also, um, you know, relative to team-based models of care, the hope for healthcare is that we tend to be pretty slow, but when we actually figure out what we're doing, it's science, right? It takes us about 17 years after research comes out to actually begin to apply those things in healthcare. That came true with, with how we took care of DVTs and I mean, so many other great examples. Um, but, but when we do, we tend to be cyclical in our thinking, right? So we try something, it's kind of like wide leg pants. 
um, you know, they found their way back again. And so I think this team-based model of care <laughs> is, is, is just, I, I would hope that it finds its way back because there's several reasons why um, nursing is not the only place where there's a shortage. Uh, and so when you think about it, there's a shortage of physicians. Um, you know, it's not like there's scores of people going in to become respiratory therapists or mm-hmm. like everybody is going to be impacted in healthcare by the similar trends, right? An aging, an aging population, an aging workforce, um, the stress of the last several years, which have actually made a lot of people in healthcare generally resign from healthcare and go do something different, right? So all those trends don't just impact nursing, they impact everybody. So if you can find ways to really boost performance and allow people to function at the top of their license and begin to acknowledge much of what we started doing when the patient safety era really, you know, um, came into the light and we started being more team-based in the OR. I think I gave that example too when I when I visited with her is like, you think about all of those roles in the OR and Emily, you can speak to this even clearer than I can, but you would never one day just wake up and go, you know what, we could probably do without the circulator. You would never do that. You need that person there while somebody sure could cover. Why would you do that? Because that model where each person knows their place and is up like they're mm-hmm. functioning optimally in that role. You just we just know there are better outcomes. And that wasn't always the way the OR functioned, right? That that didn't just people didn't just open an OR and go, we should really have a team-based model. But that evolved over years of time and it stayed. And so I think we could learn a lot um, in the you know general units where where we could really employ people in other disciplines to deliver care at the top of their license, which would give some relief to the RN that has carried a lot of that, you know, the re-entry of LBNs, um, I think medical assistants, there's just so, so many very, very talented people mm-hmm. in all of those spaces that chose that route of healthcare for whatever reason, right? There could be lots of reasons. Maybe that's, in many cases, that's just how high or how much they wanted to learn, right? And so, so you say, okay, well, how could we really use that and optimize it? And when I first came, you know, we were very team-based. I had, I knew my CNAs and I knew what they were doing. And, and, um, you know, they, I listened to the podcast she did with America's favorite nurse. And you know, as she said, she'd get through with her patients and she'd go next two hours and start it all over again. And, but you knew that you could rely on those people, like that team of people were doing, everyone was doing their role and their function takes, I think, probably some additional coordination. But when you think about things like bedside shift report, where we started talking to each other more and understanding who we were as a team, where we have focused on teams in healthcare, I think we've seen some really great results. Um, So I think it would behoove us to try that in some of our our bigger centers. Psych is one place for sure. I mean, just so burdened always by um, patients and even more so now. And just not the population of caregivers that we need. Yeah, I'm sure nursing homes too. I know that they're always mm-hmm. like the most short-staffed. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I was just chatting about that uh, whole concept with my friend yesterday who's an ER nurse. And she was like, well, that's what we do in a lot of the ERs anyway. We It will mm-hmm. be like two nurses in a pod and they kind of share the six rooms or whatever it is and they kind of just tackle each one. Mm -hmm. And she said, it can be awesome if you have a great team member, but it can also be terrible. Just, it can be terrible for uh, many different reasons. If it's a newer nurse and you're kind of 
taking in, take, taking on the burden of also teaching so it can everything can take longer or you can have lazy nurse as a team member who's not helping yeah. you and not being a team mem- member um <laughs> or you could have someone who's super type a and just like takes forever I mean there's just so many things that could kind of go wrong but <clears throat> when you're with someone that is an awesome team member then it could be like the best shift ever yeah but well and yeah. I I was ta- I was chatting with a friend today whose mom is in the hospital in another country not not Canada but um you know developed country certainly and just talking to the hospital staff and they were saying you know her mother's not eating and they said well like what process are you going through and so whatever they leave the food for her and then she does eat it and she said well can someone help get her up in her chair like so she's not gonna eat laying down in the bed right so and they said we're so short-staffed we can't like we just don't have time to to get every person positioned so she was like so I'm a 10 hour plane flight away like what am I supposed to do right but it's like that idea if you have a team mm-hmm. people right the nurse probably can't spend time with every patient trying to get them propped up and mm-hmm. make sure that they're eating but if you have a team of CNAs or you know other support staff on the unit that can be doing that following the cart and making sure everybody's up and eating you know like there's it's it's always just understanding what long-term impact and which doesn't even have to be long-term it can impact a patient's stay by you know two days right if you can get the meeting you can get them walking or you can get the catheter out sooner or like all of these mm-hmm. things right um that maybe the nurse can't do it but what could the lvn do on the unit like you know i mean i worked with lvns all the time and they were just such a valuable part of the team and i knew what they could do they knew what i what they couldn't and so you know that's when the handoff would take place but um i i do have hope for it like i said i I think trends in healthcare tend to come make their way around. And I've heard this more like in other conferences that we've been in and the topic definitely comes up. Um, and so I, I'm hopeful that we'll move in that direction. Yeah. I don't think I've ever worked with any LVNs um, in the hospital, at least like, and my, most of my career was in the NICU, but um, it is interesting now that I'm in, and a surgery center, the pre-op and PACU area, they, they are practicing that more of a team-based mm-hmm. model. Um, they tag team, like we, our patients come in and like one patient is doing the interviewing or one nurse is doing the interviewing, one nurse is doing the charting or like mm-hmm. the other one's getting the vitals, mm-hmm. like getting the meds. And they just kind of like bop, 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 bop to all the patients. Um, and they're like, yeah, it works really well for us mm-hmm. versus yeah. one nurse having they one, two, three, and like having no help with any of their patients that they have. Um, it's yeah. going really well. So yeah. that is no, that's great. I did day surgery years ago and it was much the same. Like as I was mm-hmm. moving into leadership roles and, and it was the same, you just kind of knew what your part of the team was that day. And yeah, it was great. You, they could be answering questions while another worse was mm-hmm. in there getting the vitals and starting the IV and, you know, exactly. doing the prep and yeah, it's great. Yeah. You've seen, you've seen a little bit of it, right? Like in some hospitals, they have the discharge team, right? So there's been those, those kind of got really popular where they would come and do all the discharges. And in some hospitals that I was, I wasn't at the bedside, but definitely leader in, um, there were the IV teams. So those people would, you know, circulate and do IVs. And so, so some of that I think has tried to find its way back in Mm -hmm. understanding what some of the tasks are, right. That would take a nurse away and how could they get a team of experts that, you know, can, um, can facilitate doing those things. So yeah, let's just cross our fingers. Yeah. Even just utilizing respiratory therapists more, Mm -hmm. you know, I've worked Mm -hmm. on units where they are like 
incredible, super independent. Like they get their orders, they go change the vent settings, like they do all the things. And then they also come in with you and do your hands-on care when we do that with the NICU babies, because it's really important. You have a two, uh, like a, an ET tube or like a really unstable CPAP kiddo that you have two hands in there and you have like both disciplines and that works really well. But then you work on other units where it's like, you never see your RT, but yeah. It's like there's staffing issues mm-hmm. there for sure as well. And hmm, it's just yeah. a lot to think about. It's very interesting. Yeah, I've definitely seen a range of, you know, being a traveler, places that have great teamwork and pe- places that don't, um, mm-hmm. or places that seem to use the team model a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. And it's always <clears throat> a better experience. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. like you were saying, yeah. when everybody, when you get an admission and everybody floods to your room and it's like, what can I do? And mm-hmm. you just get that done in less than an hour. It's a great feeling, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, really cool. it's interesting too. I know you mentioned travel nursing, which has obviously been my space for a while now, but you know, I'm reflecting again back and just hearing you say that, um, how you, how you really can see where team, where, where people are focused more on being a team. Um, and how that matters, that the voice of the travel nurse data that came out um, late last year out of TravCon mm-hmm. um, was very clear. I mean, that that's what people are looking for. That's what HPs are looking for is they want to feel like they're part of a team. Um, they want to feel supported. They want their voice to be heard. Like, again, in those areas and spaces of healthcare where we have taken a team approach, again, back to bedside shift report with the team in ICU team models in the OR and all the patient safety things that you had to do before and marking the spot and introducing each other. And Mm -hmm. so everybody knew each other's names. I mean, those things are important for a reason. Right. And so, so I think, um, I think there's just, it, it hits on so many levels. If we listen to what we're saying and what the profession is, is saying and what HPs I think are saying in general, and that's like, I want to be part of something. And if I go to work every day and I'm kind of left on my own, I feel like I'm drowning by myself, then how does that perpetuate my desire to stay in that profession? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot we need to do administratively and, and otherwise to support that. I would agree. And especially as a traveler, you're already isolated and to feel even more isolated mm-hmm. at work. Like, why would you want to keep doing that? That's mm-hmm. not fun whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of changes that need to be made. Um, I want to hear more about Nomad, though. Can you tell our listeners what is Nomad and why is it different from other agencies? Sure. I'm happy to. Um, So obviously my little elevator pitch on Nomad is that we're the first uh, joint commission certified digital marketplace for healthcare staffing. Um, The company was founded by a physician. So I love that so much. Alexi's our CEO and um, put into place a real mission from the very beginning to remove all the obstacles that stand between a clinician and the patients we serve. So how can we get rid of all of the cumbersome mess that sort of is all of the back and forth and paperwork and all of those things and get us to the bedside more quickly. And so, so I love that um, where we've come from is still where we are. Um, So that means that we've never changed that mission as a company. Um, It, that, that rang true a year ago, just as loudly as it does for me today. Um, it's something we talk about a lot, uh, putting the HP first. And um, again, I think because the model is 
built around HP choice, meaning so we have a marketplace of positions and roles and you as the um, healthcare professional go into that marketplace and you can choose like similar to if you're buying a car, right? Or picking an Airbnb or picking a car you want to take an Uber and you can see all your choices and you can choose which ones that you like. You could apply to multiple jobs at the same time if you wanted. Um, and then we go through a, a you know vetting process internally that's behind the scenes. So so we don't have recruiters, but I like to reiterate we're not we're not peopleless. We're just recruiterless, um, which means the pay rates uh, that Nomad offers to clinicians are higher because we don't have the the same um, cost associated with, with the recruiter model. And so that's where my team gets to be a part of those we call the meaningful moments of connection so that when you do talk to a person and there is back and forth dialogue, those are, those are meaningful times. It's not asking you for things um, and paperwork and phone numbers and all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's really that we're trying to get you to the bedside and we're trying to make sure you're as well prepared as possible um, to be successful in your assignment. I, uh, I mean, I definitely look at Nomad all the time. <laughs> I look at all the jobs and I'm like, Right now, I'm not fully, I'm not, I'm not traveling, but um, I still, I still peek every single day. You know where to find me, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) No, one of the things I love the most about um, what we've been able to do in clinical excellence is that, you know, I've, again, worked in healthcare staffing for several years now, and, you know, a lot of um, the clinical work can focus more on when, uh, when we get on assignment. So once the traveler is on assignment. And what we've been able to do is we do a pre-assignment, you know, because you have to do competency exams and that type of thing to make sure that you're uh, ready and prepared for the unit. What we've done is if there are opportunities for the clinician to have refreshers or if there are things that they're feeling anxious about rhythms or something like that before they take a test, because we all know that not everyone's a great test taker um, and test anxiety is a real thing. Um, we have our, our team prepares one-on-one specialized training and education. And so we can go in and like down to the rhythms that they, that a, that a particular nurse might be struggling with and, and do, um, what we call tailored education plans for them that we send those over to them. You can ask for one-on-one. We have conversations with HPs that go from 15 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes. Um, but they, and then we do satisfaction surveys at the end of those and have over 90% satisfaction rate with what we call clinical education coaching, because the goal is really that not only as HP, you feel well-prepared, but that our clients know we're not just getting you a person to the bedside. We're making sure that the person coming to the bedside is and our team's called clinical excellence. So we say as clinically excellent as possible, right? Because that sets everybody up for success. Mm-hmm. That becomes the quadruple win. That's the patient, that's the nurse, that's the client, that's nomad. And so where we can put energy behind um, the people part and the connection part of a nomad that is looking to connect with clinicians when it really matters. Um, that's one of those areas that I, I love the most about the team and the work that we've been able to do. So oh, that's awesome. That is yeah. really awesome. I'm still traveling. Um, I've never used Nomad. I've never used um, a recruiterless agency before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I feel loyal to my recruiter, but like the more money yeah. sounds very enticing. I guess like my, um, the reason I would be hesitant is, I guess this, this could be also in my head, but I'm curious. Like in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, my recruiter can help me like push to get a specific job or like put me to the top of the list like I don't know how true that is um yeah like what would you say to 
me and like other travelers like me that are hesitant to like go recruiterless, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, and you know, I'll go back to what I, what I said initially is the recruiterless is not really about um, not having people to support you and help you get the jobs that you want. It's more about you get to decide what jobs you want and then we help get you there. Right. Okay. And so it's the technology is meant to facilitate a quick application, you create your profile. And once your profile's done, then you're kind of ready to go to 10 jobs at the same time. So you could see them in different states even and say, ooh, these four sound, these four, 10, six, whatever sound interesting to me. And I want to go down this route. The other way that we manage that is we have navigators. So we have what we call TOA navigators. And so you're assigned a navigator that can also help you with any issues like that. And so it's not meant that you... I mean, we would love it in the in you know perfect world that the, that experience is completely touchless. That you find the job, you get the job, and you get to the bedside, and it's been no hiccups and and nothing has gone awry, and no documents are missing, and it's perfectly seamless. Like that's our goal, right? That's the golden pathway. Um, but in between that, if there are hiccups, there's still a team of people that are there, like ready to support you. And so um, one of the things again, like as I mentioned, my team has only been in place for just about seven months, the whole team. And so um, we are looking at 24 seven model of coverage too. So how can we say you, you do get the dream job and you get the assignment, you're on assignments two in the morning, you just got your 10th patient. You're like, I cannot do 10 to one ratio. Like I'm about to you know, lose my mind. There's support for that also. And so what we say, kind of one of our mottos at, at Nomad is let technology do what can, technology can do and should do. Let people do what people can do and should do. But then we take it a step further with CE, with clinical excellence, and say, and let HPs, so let clinicians do what only clinicians can do. And let us connect with clinicians when it matters. And and we that becomes part of our like coaching to stay is what we call it. And so if you're having issues or challenges, um, some of those things related to teams, like feeling already ostracized or kind of like you're on an island by yourself, we look to be that extra support. Um, not only in clinical excellence, but also our TOA navigators. And we have such a solid relationship with them. Those navigators have been in place for years since the very start of Nomad. That's always been a part of the business model is to really make sure that even though there wasn't a recruiter, that no traveler kind of, it's like no traveler left behind, right? That you didn't feel like you were like doing it all on your own. So whether it's a payroll issue or contract issue or any of those things, there are still people there that are assigned specifically to you that you know that you can reach out to and they're kind of your partner as you move through. Super nice. That is really nice. And like to know that there's a dedicated person for that versus like you have your recruiter and they're not going to always have time or like really understand what's going on like yeah. in your unit or well, what you're struggling with and the the part of the you know and again it, it certainly my my experience and and I had such great experience with AMN and with with many other recruiting models that are all the same right but those recruiters are also being channeled to channel TOA to you know to travelers to certain jobs right that's part of their job so their job is to also try to channel um clinicians where they want them to go, where it makes sense for them. And so I think that's, again, part of the model for Nomad that has just been um, so important for us is that we don't want to take that choice away. And so what we see then too is like this really, really high completion rate on assignments too, because we're not telling you 
ooh, you really should look at this place over here. Like, let's try to get you steered in this direction because it'll be better. Um, mm -hmm. We want travelers to go where travelers need and want to go. And so that's why, um, you know, one of the tags again early on was, um, you know, travel your way. Like it's, it really should be um, putting choice power back into the hands of the HP. So. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of independence for the healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I'm guessing you have jobs for all different types of healthcare providers. Is this why you say HPs, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. super intentional. And, you know, I've, I have a respiratory therapist on my team and um, she's been so fantastic to make sure uh, that that language kind of makes its way out and, and seeps out. Because I, again, if we go back to, um, you know, I mean, I was, I remember those days on the bedside too, and someone was going to feel like the redheaded stepchild on the team. Right? Like so you do with the night, night shift, you were like, oh, like we're the orphans of the hospital. And mm -hmm. if you're a respiratory therapy, you felt like you were the orphans of the hospital. Like so if somebody always feels like they're left out, you know? And so how can we then um, as a team just really try to be all inclusive because we're trying to recognize just how critically important every person um, is on the healthcare team. So so you have respiratory therapists, like occupational therapists, any kind of yep. therapy. Yeah. Um, so we have scrub. Do you do like scrub techs as well? We do not do scrub techs right Scrub. now, but um, we definitely have several allied health positions um, available, lots of disciplines coming also in the future. And one of the great things about Nomad last year is as we were launching into more into the allied health space, we do, um, you can add yourself as to the waiting list so that when we do launch a discipline, um, that again, you get notified right away and then can kind of be on the top of the short list of people that start getting those jobs more quickly. So that was, um, I think that was really a wise way to do it last year as we began to, began to build out that team. And, and again, I, I think the effort uh, that Nomad has gone into to planning well for those disciplines as we've gone live has been uh, a big part of the success that we saw, particularly in the second half of 2022 uh, in the allied health space generally. And, and we had, uh, again, the gal on my team one of the one of the people that she works with at Nomad said, like, we want every allied health professional to be like, oh, I had no idea you did nursing because they feel so special, you know, feel so focused on as a respiratory therapist. We want them to kind of wonder who else we actually take care of. And so yeah. that really is the heart, I think, of the company generally is, again, founded by a physician going back to putting the HP first. Uh, and it's really one of the reasons why I joined Nomad in the first place was really wanting a company that, you know, is a healthcare company in the business of caring for people. We just happen to be powered by really great technology. Yeah. Uh, so I try to see it, see it that way too. I love that so much. Yeah. It is, I, I found it very easy to create a profile and like search for jobs on Nomad um, and apply as well. So definitely, Good. definitely go everyone go make an account yeah. <laughs> and check out those jobs because <laughs> they've got some really incredible options there. Um, but also, you were at TravCon for the first time this I year. I was at TravCon. Yes. We yes, were also I had so there. much fun. Yes. <laughs> for our we first came, time. Yeah, it was our first time. We came to the Nomad booth too, um, but I don't think we met you, obviously. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, now that you say it, like Hannah's face has looked familiar to me since you got, since we got online. And so I'm like, cause Maybe your little character, 
Yeah. So I don't know. I might've been um, yeah. there when we met, but I did a, I actually worked with the Lumify team there too. So I did a, I did a quick little live uh, podcast with, with them. Um, also great partners. Love we them so much. Them. We're, we're part of their Lumify fam. <laughs> um, uh, they helped us get, get these. So. Oh my gosh. They're amazing. So cool. They're such an inspiration too. We connected with them yeah. at TrapCon and we were like, <laughs> okay, we're obsessed. Yeah. Well, you guys are, I think you guys are an inspiration, right? Like even, um, so I won't fully disclose my age that I've told you when I started being a nurse, so you could just figure it out on your own. But uh, my big birthday last year, uh, you know, my, my best friend and I have talked about doing things like y'all are doing for years, but there's something about, you know, you get into the daily work every day and maybe become a little bit less risky. And so, uh, you know, the fact that you guys, made space to do something that's so important um, to talk about it while still doing your jobs and you know reach people in different ways you know, I always say that right you you want your circle of influence and I grew up in an environment where where your circle of influence was literally the people that were within six feet of you because we didn't have social media and we didn't have all these other ways for outreach and so I think it's really great that um, you guys are taking the opportunity to to take risk in your in your current environment and just impact many more lives than you otherwise would if you just stayed off the microphone so congratulations to you both that's so sweet that means a lot Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. we talked about it for a long time before we actually like we're like let's just do it why do we why are we waiting it's easy to talk about it's hard to actually plan it and pull the trigger so yeah I'm proud of us yeah I really enjoyed it good it's been a full Good. year of it too, which has been, which is absolutely wild that it's been that long. So, yeah. Well, I can't wait to see you guys at TravCon. So, yeah. Yes, we'll see too. you there. September. It was can't such wait. a blast. We'll have to make time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> can you let everyone know where they can find you or find Nomad? Um, I mean, on the socials. Nomad, yeah. Is it just Nomad? On the socials. Or- <laughs> Yeah, nomad nomadhealth.com. Um, and again, um, for clinical support, we are clinical excellence at Nomad Health. You'd email us, um, and a member of our team will get back to you. Um, I'm there too. I'm on LinkedIn. I think you guys have handles and everything for me. So just happy yeah. to connect with, with anybody. Um, yeah, about travel nursing or, or nursing or branching into leadership in nursing or any of those things. It's kind of been my passion for a long time. So. I love it. Perfect. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing all your wisdom and for your time. Oh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been awesome. Guys. All right. Very cool. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Okay, stay tuned. I feel like we got some good stuff in there. Maybe. This podcast is produced by Emily Richardson and Hannah Quirk. The intro music is by Dan Lemire. Please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram at drunkordelirious or send us an email at drunkordelirious at gmail.com.